past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the people whose lives were changed at the feet of Jesus. And as we look at these folks, we learn some things about uh, how we can interact with Jesus, what we can expect when we're willing to allow ourselves to be humbled enough to be at the feet of Jesus. And this morning, I want us to think together about resting at his feet. In Luke chapter 8, look with me there in Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin at verse 26. In Luke chapter 8, verse 26, we, we come across a very interesting character, a guy who is in desperate need of help. Perhaps a much more dramatic story than any one of us has lived or has even witnessed. But in his story, we find some truths, some realities that we need to be reminded of. And so we're going to look at his story, Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. I think that his dwelling place speaks of his experience. He's living among the dead because he is dead. He's, he has yet to find Christ and he is uh, filled with these demons that keep him from finding real life, from finding abundant life. He dwells among the dead because that speaks of who he is. In verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. And you can tell right off that those words don't match this man. First of all, don't know that he would recognize who Jesus really was. I mean, folks knew him by his name Jesus, but I don't know that a man who is living out in the, the cemetery would know that he is the son of the Most High God. And why would he think that Jesus is going to torment him? Well, it's obvious that this is not the man speaking. Right? These are the spirits within him who are speaking through him. And they recognize Jesus. They recognize that he is the son of the Most High. And we're going to touch on that again in a second, so I want you to put a mental bookmark there. That the demons recognize and believe that he is the son of God. And so they cry out, I beg you, do not torment me. Verse 29. But he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound in chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. The word legion is not one that we use very often. 
It was a word that they were more familiar with. A legion was a group in the military, in the army, the Roman army. And a legion could be around 2,000. That's not saying necessarily he had 2,000 demons, but it means that this is a big group, a big bunch. This man has not only one demon tormenting him, but he has many, and so they corporately together, they take the name Legion. Verse 31, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. The demons did not want to be cast out into the abyss, into the nothing. They wanted to be in something. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll put you in something, but you're not going in another human being. I'll put you in some pigs. One of our members loves pigs and he gets mad every time I refer to this story. But the point of the story is humans are more valuable than pigs. And Jesus says, you don't get to mess around with any more people. Instead, you're going to get in the pigs. And he knew that that was not going to last long. Pigs don't, don't deal well with demons. And so they run off the cliff and they die. Verse 34, then when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. When they came back, they recognized the dude. It's the same dude, same dude who's been, who's been going crazy all this time. He's been acting strange. He's been scary. They've put him in chains, and he just breaks his way through the chains. He doesn't live in a house. He lives in the, in the, in the, uh, the cemetery. He doesn't even wear clothes. They recognize the dude. They've seen him. They've heard all the stories. They know him, but this time... There's something different. He's got clothes on for one thing. And instead of running crazy, he's sitting. And instead of in the land of the dead, he's sitting at the feet of the author of life. You see, there's been a major change in this man's life. And I want us to think about his experience at the feet of Jesus. And the first thing that we think of is, as we look at that story is that we find peace at his feet. This man, for the first time in who knows how long, is finally at peace. He's finally resting. We started our story in verse 26. It said, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes opposite Galilee. Why did we start there? Because I wanted to make a connection for you. It said, then they sailed to the country. Well, where were they before the then? There's a reason the then statement is there. And if we look back one paragraph, 
One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. And the windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was calm. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes. In Mark's account of that very same story out on the, on the sea or the lake, Jesus actually speaks to the wind and the waves. He wakes up and he says, what's going on, guys? What are y'all upset about? They say, don't you care about us? We're going to drown. Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, you don't even know who you're in the boat with. He stands up and he speaks to the waves and the wind and he says, peace, be still. And even the wind and the waves obey and there is peace. It is that very one who now stands just outside the cemetery and it is that very one who has a man at his feet Sitting. Why? Because Jesus is the one who speaks peace into our existence, into our experience. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings us that calm assurance. Psalm 65 speaks of God as the one who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and to make sure that we get the connection, he says, the tumult of the peoples. Not only does he bring peace to nature, but he brings peace to his people as well. Somebody this morning needs to find some rest. The bills are getting too high too quick. The marriage is on the rocks again. Problems at work, there's conflict and controversy. There are issues in the neighborhood, in the family. Somebody today needs to find some peace. Let me just remind you that if you know Jesus, you already know the Prince of Peace. You know the one who can speak calm. When he says, be still, even the wind listens. And so Jesus says to his disciples on the night before he leaves them, peace is what I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says, peace. And I'm not giving it to you the way the world does. The world gives you what they want you to have while they want you to have it, and then they take it back. Jesus says, I'm going to give it to you. Once and for all, you find peace in me. We find peace at his feet. We also notice as we learn from this man at his feet, we, we realize that our lives are changed at his feet. Look at this man. What a dramatic change. From chaos to calm. From pandemonium to peace. From confusion to clarity. 
from turmoil to tranquility. He went from being possessed to being dressed. He went from chains to freedom, from death to life. You may remember the evangelists of old used to say, if there's no change, there's no Jesus. You remember that? No change, no Jesus. And what they mean is every time you actually personally come into an encounter with Jesus Christ, you will be changed. And if you walked the aisle and you filled out a card, even if you got wet, but you never had any kind of change, then you ain't met my Jesus yet. Evangelists used to say, no change, no Jesus. Jesus changes us. He creates something new within us. True discipleship is not about learning the information. True discipleship is not even about just believing in Him. James reminds us that even demons believe in Him. You remember it was the demons who said, hey, don't mess with us, Son of the Most High. Even they believe in Him. So it's not enough to know the information, and it's not even enough to believe in Jesus. But what changes us, real Christianity, is about knowing Him personally, following Him, trusting Him. You see, our lives change at His feet. When we encounter Him in a personal way, we'll never be the same again. When James and John encountered Jesus, they dropped their nets and they followed him for the rest of their lives. When Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, he stopped taking money and he started giving generously. When the centurion who was leading the people who were putting him on the cross at that moment, when he encountered Jesus, he said, truly this is the Son of God. When Saul encountered Jesus, he was out trying to kill Christians and he was changed in a moment and became Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, the one who is telling people about how they can come to Jesus. What made the difference? It was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you remember the story. It was originally told by Myra Welch and then it was retold by John Cramp so that it would fit to music. The last part of the story about the old violin says, You know there's many a man with his life out of tune, battered and scarred with sin. He's auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like that old violin. But then the master comes, and the old foolish crowd, they never understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought just by the touch of the master's hand. Or maybe you remember hearing James Rowe's testimony when he said, I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Or perhaps you, you listen to different kind of music and you remember the story of Clevant Derricks, who said, I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above 
and just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Or maybe you remember the testimony of that great theologian, Hank Williams. I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I what? I saw the light. And certainly we all remember the testimony of John Newton. Amazing grace. How sweet that sound. Grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus changes us. We find find change at his feet. We, We find new life at his feet. If you've come to know Christ, you have a story like theirs. You could say, I once was, but now I am this. I could tell you I once was lonely. I once was lost. I once was confused. I once was hurting. I once was angry, but now I have purpose, I have meaning, I have joy. Not because of anything I figured out, but because Jesus changed me. We are changed at his feet. And that's why Paul described it for us in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We find peace at his feet. We, our lives are changed at his feet, and we learn to rest at his feet. One of the most amazing parts of this story, to me, is not, is not the demons in the, in the pigs, and it's, it's not the It's not even the fact that the guy who used to break chains is quiet. It's not necessarily that the guy who didn't wear clothes now has clothed. The the one thing that just stands out to me in this story is that he's sitting. He's sitting. He finally has learned to rest. And that happens when we come to the feet of Jesus. We learn to rest at his feet. That shouldn't surprise us because that was his invitation. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Sometimes I think we make the mistake of working hard and working hard and working hard so that we can convince God that we really are grateful for all he's done. We work and we work and we serve and we serve so that we can prove ourselves worthy of his gift to us. And all along he's saying, dude, I just want you to rest. I I just want you to be still and know me. And Jesus says, come, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Oh, there's time to serve. There's time to work. But what we neglect is the time to rest. And what happens is when we fail to rest in him, then our service actually winds up meaning very little to him. You see, it's all about being, not doing. 
When's the last time you just sat at his feet and rested in him? Stop trying to impress others. Stop trying to improve yourself. Stop trying to work hard enough to please him. Just stop for a few minutes and rest. Stop running, stop working, stop worrying, stop planning, stop talking. Rest. Listen. Be. We haven't done this in a long time. I'm going to call us back to this short practice. You've been, you've been running crazy all weekend. You've been working hard all week before that. You're ready to get out of here so you can get to the next thing on your to-do list. But before we go, let's rest. Just get comfortable. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes if you want to, but don't go to sleep. And just rest in Him. Take a minute and just spend some time with Him. Talk to Him. Just experience His presence. You were kind enough to give me some time this morning. I'm going to give you a little bit back. I'm going to give you about a minute. Just stop and rest. I'm going to invite you to talk to yourself for a second and say the words that David said when he talked to himself. Speak to that innermost part of who you are and say, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in Him. Tell yourself that every once in a while. Hey, soul, for God alone, wait in silence. He's our only hope.